Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. This morning, um, as we make our way continued there in the book of Isaiah, we come to the 22nd chapter. Uh, yesterday, Emily and I had gone to spend a little time with her dad, and I uh, came down the steps, and um, she said to me, what you been doing, babe? And uh, she still calls me babe. That's right. Believe it. Um, it's a fact. Uh, I told her, I said, uh, I heard somebody laughing really loud, so I hope that wasn't her. Um, anyway, um, I said, well, I've just been on my knees crying out to God that I might have a message for the people tomorrow. It's been a week that's uh, I haven't had in a while where I just I've sought the Lord, read, prayed, read, prayed, and just waiting. And I was there, and Emily's dad asked me. He was in the room, and he just said, "Well, what are you preaching on?" And I said, "Well, it's the twenty-second chapter of Isaiah." And I said, "It's just kind of tough. Um, Isaiah's just it's kind of tough." I was like, "I I feel like that continually. I, I keep coming back with a similar message, chapter after chapter." Don't rely upon the world. Don't rely upon the world. Don't rely upon the world. And he looks at me and just kind of smiles a little bit. And he says, well, you know why, don't you? Because it's still a problem. It's still a problem. It's still a problem. And so this morning, um, I hope and pray that as we come in to look at this word, and um, I'll try and see what's up, Miss Karen. I don't know. Um, uh, is the Wi-Fi working up there? Or no. Yeah. Okay. I'll try again. We'll see. Um, I don't know. I'll try it again. Maybe it will. Anyway, um, it's all right. The Isaiah came and he came to the northern kingdom of Judah that, or the northern kingdom of Israel in the 17th chapter. And he basically was asking them, hey, guys, you, are you guys going to be faithful to God? And the reality is, I mean, you guys know they weren't. They didn't follow the Lord and um, they weren't faithful. And so now we come to the 22nd chapter. And now it's the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. And the question is going to be to them, are you guys going to be faithful to the Lord? Or are you going to follow the way of the world too? And the reality is, uh, and you're probably already prepared for it, they're just going to follow the way of the world. Um, Emily and I have a proverb that uh, that we kind of, we live by, a mantra. Um, it's the 20, Proverbs 22, uh, verse 3, Proverbs 22 and 3. And the statement is this, it says that the prudent see what, you know? They see danger. And they take refuge, but the naive, literally the simple, those who think it won't happen to me or it won't catch up to me. It says the simple keep going and suffer for it. And really that proverb is going to be played out today in the valley of vision here in the midst as he looks out of this scene, what's coming to the people of God. And there's a reminder of, listen, it's interesting. I think from the proverb, it says again, that the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the naive keep going and suffer for it. So it, it seems to indicate that both people see the danger. Just one runs to Christ, runs to the cross, runs to God as their refuge. And the other thinks, you know what, I'll be alright. I, I can overcome this in my own strength. I can do it. And the reality is, as Psalm 46 and 1 reminds us, that God alone is our refuge and strength. He alone is our ever-present help in time of need. And so today, for some of you, maybe you feel like you're on top of the mountain. Today is a reminder of the warning 
that we can often be on the mountain in one moment, in the valley the next. And so let's pick up in the 22nd chapter of Isaiah. And we'll see this first truth. Prudency is responding. Prudency is responding. Prudency is not just simply that I recognize the danger. Remember that Proverbs 22 and 3. The prudency danger and take refuge. They act upon it. The naive keep going and suffer for it. So we realize that prudency is not only hearing or recognizing that there's something up. It's acting. It's responding. So this is what happens. Beginning Isaiah chapter 22. Beginning verse 1. If it's not going to work, Miss Karen, it's okay. Okay, we try. It's fine. Isaiah 22, beginning verse 1. Listen to what the Word of God says. The oracle concerning the valley of vision. It's interesting that, again, who he's talking about here, he's going to say here as he comes to verse 4 and 5, he's going to talk about the fact that it's indeed the people of Israel. He's talking about the daughter of Jerusalem. And so he he's, he begins to weep and cry out for them. But it's interesting that they would call the, the people of God they're supposed to be on Mount Zion overall looking, right? I mean, Isaiah's been talking about how the people of God are to be raised up this great mountain that all the nations might stream to them. But the reality is now, because of their actions, because of falling the way of the world, they've in fact become the valley. And we know from Psalm 23, right? Probably the most recognizable psalm of all. that the valley says something about that dark time of the soul. Lo, though I shall walk through the valley of what? The shadow of death. Right? So when we see this valley of vision, we are hearing, we are recognizing that there is a problem. There's an issue. Something's coming. There's going to come a hard time. And here's what's interesting. Isaiah sees what the people don't see. He weeps while they rejoice. Look what happens to the text. In verse 1. If it's it's not going to work, can you just pull up the images and say it? I'm sorry. I apologize. Um. Look what he says. What do you mean, verse 1 of Isaiah 22, what do you mean that you have gone up, all of you, to the housetops? You who are full of shoutings, tumultuous city, exultant town. Your slain are not slain with a sword or dead in battle. All your leaders have fled together. Without the bow they were captured. All of you who were found were captured. Though they had fled far away. He says, listen, there's going to come judgment upon the land. And they're not even going to fire a bow. You guys are going to fear, right? They're going to, and what we know is, is that they began to come up and set sieges around the city, began to cut off things, and they began to fear, and they'll flee. He says, listen, I want you to know that God is, is bringing judgment upon the people, and they don't even recognize it. Look further with me. Verse 4 of Isaiah 22. Therefore I said, look away from me. Let me weep bitter tears. Do not labor to comfort me concerning the destruction of the daughter of my people. So again, he's referring specifically to the people of, of Judah, the southern kingdom. He begins to weep. Why? Well, verse 5 says this, 4, right? You see that 4? It tells you, here's a reason why. Here's what's behind this. For the Lord God of hosts has a day of tumult and trampling and confusion in the valley of vision. In the midst of the valley, God is bringing judgment. He said He's a battering down of walls and is shouting to the mountains. God is bringing judgment on His people. Look what happens further here. In verse 6 it says, And Elam bore the quiver with chariots and horsemen and Kerr and covered the shield. Elam has always been in alliance or a part of an ally of Babylon. And so we have this imagery possibly of Babylon in the background and Assyria presently coming toward The people of Judah. Look what he says to them in verse 7. Your choicest valleys were full of chariots. 
The enemy is just encamped around Jerusalem. And the horsemen took their stand at the gates. And then this statement here. He has taken away the covering of Judah. God has removed the hedge of protection from His people. And we wonder why. Well, look at it there, Second Chronicles 32 and 1. It says, after these things and these acts of what? Do you see it? After the, verse 32, Second Chronicles 32 and 1. After these things, right? The Chronicles talking about a similar period of time. After these things and these acts of what? Faithlessness. They've not been faithful to the Lord. And so look what happens. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities. That's what he's saying when he says in verse 8 that God has taken away the covering of Judah. God has removed the hedge of protection from them. And it's a warning to all of us. Listen, if we are not faithful, if we are not following the Lord, let us not deceive ourselves if to think that God is going to continue to bless and allow us just to permit on our way. In fact, the Bible is clear that the, that the reality is if you're truly God's child, He will bring judgment upon your life. Because He's a faithful Father. He disciplines you to bring you back to Him. But the people of Judah are going to remove, have the covering removed because of their faithlessness. And the nations are going to come in and be God's judgment. Look what he says further. It's interesting what he starts out with here in verse 8. He says, in that day you looked to. Hear that refrain. In that day you looked to. You're going to hear that again at the end. In that day, he says, you looked to the weapons of the house of force. And look what he says here, several things. And you saw that the breaches of the city of David were many. And you collected the waters of the lower pool. And you counted the houses of Jerusalem. And you broke down the houses to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. They are doing absolutely everything they can. And look what happens. Verse 11 as it ends. But... You did not look to Him. You looked everywhere else. You made all kinds of preparations. But you're not looking to God. He says, look, you guys have looked for everyone. They're looking at all these things to save them, right? They're looking to the weapons of the house, the force. They saw that there were breaches in the wall, and so they began to build the wall up. They tear part of the wall down to help get them even more protection. I mean, they're making all these decisions, trying to do all of this, and yet they are not looking to God. And it's a reminder, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the naive, they think they can do it in their own strength. They keep going and suffer for it. Maybe there's here some today that you think that you're somehow sufficient in of yourself spiritually. That you somehow will arrive in God's presence and He's going to accept you because you're better than your neighbor or better than a coworker, or better than your brother or your sister. I, I don't know who you're judging yourself against. And the reminder is, listen, unless you look to God ultimately to His Son, you are going to be cast out for all eternity. That there, this holy God demands holy perfection... And none of us are. And the danger is we so often want to do something for ourselves. And the people of Judah remind us we must look to Him. I had a friend that I, when I was growing up, he had a, a cool bike. It was like a racing bike. And I remember, I mean, I just always just, 
I was envious, right? You ever get jealousy, right? Like, dude, those are like the sweetest pegs ever, right? Look at those knobby tires. And he's got like this like little racing thing on the front and it had a number on it. And it was just awesome. And, and something else that I noticed about his bike that probably stood out as much as anything is that we'd be riding down the road and he would pedal backwards and he could just pedal and he'd like going, and I was like, dude, I got to ride that bike. And so one day he says, listen, man, you can ride it. So I jump on this bad boy, never riding a bike like that before. I take off in the neighborhood, and I'm just eating it up, man, just wide open. And I notice as I'm going down the hill that I keep just pedaling backwards, not thinking anything about it. And as I come down the hill and the curve is a sharp curve, like it literally is a cul-de-sac, it just turns really sharp, I start to realize that I can't slow down. And so, man, you know what I do? Brilliant me. Guess what I do? I just pedal backwards faster, right? I'm like, come on, come on, come on, come on. I didn't know that there was a brake handle. Didn't see it. There, was, there should have been prudency, right? To realize the whole time I'm going down the hill, instead of pedaling faster, I need to figure out, how, okay, how do you slow this thing down? And about that time, I arrive right in the cul-de-sac, and I can't make the turn. And, and literally, it's just down below my parents' house. And I slam into this telephone pole. It's got like an electrical box on it, man. I just go like a projectile out in the woods. I remember laying there numb for a few moments thinking, I don't know if I'll ever get up and I wonder if I broke his bike. And it was just a reminder to me in life that oftentimes we are so intent on looking cool. That we're naive. We think we can handle it. We think we can handle that bigger bike. We think we can make that decision. We think it won't happen to us. And the reality is this text is reminding us and these series of texts are continually reminding us that the prudent see danger and take refuge. But the naive, they keep going and suffer for it. And so the question might be, well, what was God's response to the people anyway? What what did he expect from them? Look what he says here, beginning in verse 12. In that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning, for baldness and weary and wearing sackcloth. God was calling for them to repent. Like these are outward signs of repentance, of recognition. They don't have the strength. But look what they find instead in verse 13. And behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen and slaughtering sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. And then this mantra of life, let us eat and drink for tomorrow what? We die. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Literally the mantra of instead of living for the end, let's live for the weekend. Paul pulls upon these words as he writes to the church at Corinth and he says, talking about the resurrection that is to come. And listen to what he says. If the dead are not raised, if Christ isn't raised, if there's no hope beyond this life, then look what Paul says. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul says, if there's no life beyond this one, then by all means, live it up. But there's a problem. There is a life beyond this one. And this leads us somewhere. Look what he says. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts what? Good morals. Good character. And then look what he says in verse 34 of 1 Corinthians 15. To those who believe that you can eat and drink, you can live for the weekend and not the end. Listen to what he says. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. And then listen to how he defines those who live for the weekend and not the end. Those who say, live it up. You only live once. Satisfy your flesh. Do what feels right to you. Listen to what Paul says about them. For some have no 
knowledge of who? Of God. Paul says by the very way in which they live, they are identifying the fact they don't know God. If you're living for the weekend and rather than the end, I want you to hear today that the prudent would see danger in that and they would take refuge in Christ, realizing they're in big trouble before this holy God. But the naive keeps saying, you know what? You only live once. Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The word of God calls us back. And then this what's heartbreaking about it is that these folks here in the midst of this, Don't believe there's any other way other than their own works. And so God tells them in verse 14, listen, this iniquity, this sin will not be atoned for until they die. He says, listen, they're going to miss out because they're rejecting me. They're missing out on the only offer of forgiveness. Isaiah now begins and and takes his kaleidoscope and begins to, to rotate around. And what comes in view is two people. Two people who are leading the house of Israel. And one of those reminds us of this. That we don't dismiss danger. We need to be prudent enough to recognize that we are not sufficient. You need to be prudent enough to realize that the person that you look at in the mirror is spiritually broken. And there's a great danger. And so, as again, Isaiah takes the kaleidoscope and begins to bring it in view. The first person that pops up. Shebna. Look what it says in verse 15 of Isaiah 22. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, come, go to the steward, to Shebna, who is over the household. All right, this person has a significant position in the, in the, in the midst of the kingdom of Judah. And say to him, what have you to do here? And whom have you here that you look, listen to what he does. This is interesting. That you have cut out here a tomb for yourself. Notice he says further that this tomb is cut out there in verse 16 of the rock. Why? Because there is a desire of this person to be permanent. He wants to have significant life beyond this one. He wants to be known beyond this life. He is desiring a permanence. Look further though. Look at me. Not only is there a desire for permanence, he also wants to be prominent. Back to verse 16. You who cut out a tomb on the height. Listen, he wants his tomb to be up high. Why? So everyone will see it. And carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock. Again, that rock indicates a permanence. Look what it says, verse 17. Behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. He will seize firm, hold on you, and whirl you around and around, and throw you like a ball into a wide land. There you shall die, and there shall be, look what he says, your glorious chariots. Again, this guy's desire for prominence. Now listen, we all want our lives to matter, but the reality is if we go about it for our own end, it's not going to honor and glorify God. So our lives should be significant, right? We all desire permanence, that something beyond this life, right? That when we are gone here, that we've made a difference. That our lives have been significant. That as Hebrews tells us, that he though dead, yet what? Yet speaketh. That our lives would continue to speak. That our example would continue to speak to our family and those that we love and care about even after our journey here is finished. But this guy is after it for his own prominence. For his own prestige. And so let us remind ourselves here today that if God desires to promote you, then by all means let Him. 
But you don't have to seek after it for yourself. You can allow the Lord to do that work. Paul's question to the church at Corinth was this. What do you have that you didn't receive? Then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? He says, listen, everything that you and I have is ultimately from God. Your intellectual ability is from God. Your hard work is ultimately a gift from God. You think that you are the self-made man or woman? Do you realize how quickly you and I could be in a bed laying there unmovable, sick? Do you realize that? We think it's our own strength. It's our own. And yes, God calls us to work and be faithful. Yes, God calls us to study and show ourselves approved. But let us not forget those good gifts are from Him, beloved. So let us rest in God. Because listen to what happens to Him. Look what it says in verse 20. In that day I will call my servant... Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And look what's going to happen. All right. Look what's going to happen to Shebna. I will clothe him with your robe and I will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Now, here's what's crazy about this. The fulfillment comes. Let's go further with me. Fast forward. Isaiah 36, verse three. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over what? Over the household. He's taken Shebna's position and Shebna has now become the secretary. There's been a demotion and a promotion. This is what Isaiah said is going to happen. Why? Because Shebna thought it was about him. God is bringing judgment. Don't be naive. You and anyone you know are not sufficient. This reminds us too, as you read those words, he will clothe him with your robe and bind your sash on him. That after you're gone, somebody else will live in that house. Somebody else may have your favorite chair. Somebody else will own that land. Somebody else will stand in this pulpit. For the superstars here. Benny Snell is rocking it out. But I promise you that if time continues and next year he's gone to the NFL, they'll find another running back and hand him the ball. That team will go on after you're you're gone. Are you following me? No matter how great you are, no matter how much expansion that's happening, there is a reminder to all of us that we are temporary. So instead of trying to hold on the glory for ourselves or gather as much as we can, we are called to surrender it to Him. And if you don't, the testimony of Shebna reminds us that God will take it and give it to others. The third truth I think we need to see here is we have to recognize reality. Be prudent enough to recognize that others are not sufficient. So Shebna was there and he's, his power is there and God says, listen, I'm going to take it and I'm going to raise up Eliakim. And so Eliakim comes on the scene. Jump with me if you would. Begin in verse 22 of Isaiah 22. We hear some language that's going to be, it's going to start to sound some bells off for some of you. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. The key is a position of legislation, right? To make binding decisions for the people. He says, listen, I'm going to give Shebna, right? I'm going to take Shebna's authority and I'm going to place it now, giving Eliakim the key to the house of David, right? He's going to help rule and make legislative decisions for the people of Judah. Look what it says here about him. He shall open and none shall shut. 
and he shall shut and none shall open. Eliakim is going to be given authority to determine often who could and who could not come into the presence of the king. This is a powerful position. He has the ability to shut the door and say, no, I'm sorry, you can't come in. Or to open the door and say, yeah, you can. This is a huge position of power. But look what happens here. And I will fasten him, verse 23 of Isaiah 22, and I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place, like you're knocking it up on the wall. And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. And they will hang on him the whole honor of his father's house, the offspring and issue, every small vessel from the cups to all the flagons. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a secure place will give way. And it will be cut down and fall. And then hear this. For those that rely upon others and the load that was on it, the people's hope will be cut off. How do we know, Isaiah? For the Lord has spoken. Eliakim will start out strong and everything will appear be going well with him. And guess what they'll do? Oftentimes, if you've probably been there in corporate life or some area of influence and you've done well, the reality is they usually give you what? They just give you more, right? I mean, hey, you can do that. Let's just add this. We'll put this in here, right? I mean, you know that. You've seen that. You've experienced it. And that's what's happening, right? Eliakim's raised up, and they're just continuing to give him more and more and more. But here's the danger of what's happening, this slow, gentle fade that's happening here. As they begin to slowly hope more in Eliakim than they do in the Lord. And that's the danger to all of us. That's part of this naivety, right? This is part of this... Not recognizing the truth. You're just placing your faith and hope in someone else. And some of you, listen, you've been there. You've you placed so much faith and hope that this pastor that maybe you followed had a moral failure and man, it shipwrecked you. Or you, you were following somebody in your family that had such significant faith. Again, it's important. But man, all of your faith was really just based on their faith. And so they died or stepped off the scene. And man, you just got shipwrecked for a season. This reminds us again, yes, there's an importance of following the example of others, but ultimately we look to Christ and to God. Eliakim's there and he's, he appears to be the hope, but the reality is it doesn't take but a couple verses to realize he's not. The text screams to the people of Israel, take refuge in God. The text screams to us these thousands of years later, listen, take refuge in Christ. Now all of this, guess what? It would be discouraging. But again, some of you in the midst specifically of verse 22 of Isaiah 22, you begin to hear some words that reminded you about someone that was greater than Eliakim. You said those words don't sound about just like a man. Those words remind me of the God man. Those words point to someone greater. So let's maybe make three applications as we close looking to this. I kind of got it out of order. So you can look at first, uh, number 17. Sorry. Right. The one week I'd get it out of order is the week it doesn't work. Man, I was hoping that nobody would notice. Isn't that how it works in life, right? Man, you hope nobody will notice and then things work out and then everybody finds out. Man, that's all right. Listen to what it says here. Maybe application number one. Despite how much sense it may, it may make to us, we must always look to God. Despite how much sense it may be making to you in the moment, we must always look to God. The people of Judah made all of these good plans but failed to look to God. And that's where we have to realize this. 
Failing to look to God is our greatest danger. Failing to look to God is your gravest danger. So look what happens here. We can get everything else right in life, but if we don't look to God, listen, we're going to miss it out. Why? Because we're going to spend life on ourselves. The church, listen, we can have the greatest ministries, guys. We can go to the nations. We can give. We can do cow days in the back parking lot. We can have all these ministries. We can try to do all these things. But if it is about the banner of Greensburg Baptist Church, we have missed it. It is the glory of our great God and Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to realize that no matter how much sense it may make to us, God may not be leading us to do that. Or He may be calling us to do it in a way that we would not do it. But we must always look to God. And I mentioned earlier, but listen, this is what's so terrifying about this group of messages. If you ask the people of the world what they thought about what the people of Israel and Judah were doing, this is what you would hear. Bravo! Bravo. Whose applause do you live for? Paul said in Galatians 1 that if I seek to be a servant of man, then I am no longer a servant of Christ. Whose applause are you living for? Let us remind ourselves that our lives are but a vapor. We are here today and gone tomorrow. We are a flower that is quickly fading. We are a a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Our lives are temporary. Secondly, I want to say this. Eliakim reminds us we are not sufficient. Someone greater is needed. Eliakim's example reminds us, remember, he was this tent peg or this peg. They fastened the wall and they hung everything on. Everything looked good for a while, but before long, everything fell. And Eliakim reminds all of us that we are not sufficient. Someone greater is needed. So look with me if you would. Um, image 15, Miss Karen. And I will place on his shoulder, back in verse 22. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. Listen now to these words in the New Testament. Revelation 3 and verse 7. The Lord Jesus Christ himself speaking. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has what? The key of David is shown back up again. The key of David is shown back up. But listen, what it says here is interesting about him who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. There's a reminder that someone has come that is now greater than Eliakim. Someone that simply cannot just say, yeah, you can enter in the presence of Hezekiah. Now there's someone that's stepping on the throne who has the key who says, guess what? I can say whether or not you enter the presence of God, the father. It's in John 14. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms or many mansions. If it weren't so, he says, I would have told you. But instead, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to get you, that you may be where I am. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we even know the way? Jesus answers to him in verse 6 of John 14, familiar to many of you. I am what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in these words, this no one can shut, right? What he shuts, no one can open. What he opens, no one can shut. Listen to what he says here. 
No one comes to the Father except what? Through me, by me. Jesus says, I want you to know that the door to the Father, all other doors are closed. The only door that you can enter in to enter into God's presence for all eternity is by faith in me. Why? Because we're sinful and separated from a holy God. So therefore, the Son of God took our judgment on the cross, His perfect life. He took your sin and shame, and His perfect life is credited to you. So what He opens to God the Father, no one can close. This is the only door that's open. And what He closes, no one can open. Look further with me, though, also. It says there in verse 22, I will place on His shoulder the key of the house of David. We heard earlier back in Isaiah 9 and 6, this reminds us of someone greater For to us, it says, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. It says, listen, reminds us again, Eliakim reminds us, we are not sufficient. Some of you here, maybe as kids, listen. Man, maybe intentionally or not intentionally, your fam and others have put all the pressure on you. To be the superstar musician, the great athlete, the scholastic scholar. And it's been placed on your shoulders. And the reminder is from Eliakim and the reality for all of us, we know the truth. At some point, you're not going to be able to shoulder all of that. It's going to break loose. For some of you, that's may already happen. Maybe that's long in the past. And, and you still hold shame and regret when you go around your family or whomever what they expected you to be. This text whispers to all of us, you aren't designed for that. God alone, Christ alone can shoulder that great burden. Listen, so what it does is that in fact frees us that everything we now do is not a performance to earn like acceptance and applause from those around us, but instead everything you do, every practice, every exam, every audition, Every recital, every day at the office is in fact an act of worship and praise because you're not shouldering it to try to earn his approval or to get other approval because that approval is temporary anyway. It frees you that every moment of every day has now become an act of worship. Remember that it's worship, not a performance. Thirdly, And last, we worship Christ alone. The texture appears, right, as you read verse 22 through 24, and even as you hear about him being sashed and his authority given from Shebna to Eliakim, you sure think that Eliakim will surely be enough. But before long, verse 25 comes, and we see that Eliakim cannot shoulder the weight as well. And it's a reminder to all of us here, listen, the prudency danger. You cannot blindly follow anyone. The leadership of this church, Brother Todd and I, the staff, others, leadership, listen, Sunday school teachers, you are, yes, absolutely, there are many leadership here that you are called and to submit and follow, but you don't do it blindly. Acts 17 11 says that the people of God were comparing what Paul, the apostle Paul said to the scriptures. So I don't care if they have pope or pastor or reverend or doctor or brother or whomever before their name. You compare everything you hear on the TV, you see on the, or see on the TV, hear on the radio, or hear from this pulpit to God's Word. Why? Because worship is for Christ alone. 
There's a couple examples in Scripture of of people having the opportunity to be worshipped and they don't. And it's significant people. In Acts 3, Peter is there and there's a man that's been lame for 40 years and this man is healed. In verse 12, Peter, all the people come running to clamor to him. And Peter says in verse 12, Acts 3, he says, why do you look at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man well? He says, I wouldn't know how this man was healed. It was the name of Jesus, but people were coming looking. There was an opportunity. But he says, listen, we worship Christ alone. In Acts chapter 10, this man Cornelius, he's, he's a centurion, he's a, of the Roman Italian cohort. Listen, he's kind of an outsider, but he's been worshiping God and, and God says, listen, I'm going to send a man by the name of Peter. He's going to come and Peter comes. Peter has this great vision. And when Peter opens the door and walks into Cornelius' house, Acts 10 records that this moment happens. I think it's in verse 25. That Cornelius falls down to worship at the feet of Peter. And then we hear these words in verse 26. Get up for i am just a man too some of you have fallen at the feet of the wrong people but not only do we not worship men some of the greatest men right peter i mean man wow it's at revelation 22 John's had this unbelievable vision and the text, the final chapter of the New Testament comes to a close in Revelation 22 and John sees this great vision and he's just overwhelmed. And it says in verse 8 that he falls down at the feet of this angel to worship him and listen to what even an angel says back in verse 9. You must not do that for I too am a fellow servant with you and the prophets. And then he echoes these words as he closes. Worship God. There's no man that you're worshiping. The call is to worship Christ alone. And the reminder is if you are following or hoping in your own goodness or the goodness of someone else, that tent peg at some point, that peg in the wall is going to crash and break. And my hope and prayer for you is it happens now before you stand before God. My hope and prayer is it crashes in this life so you realize that was faulty. That was foolish ground to stand on. The only hope is Christ alone. Do you know Him? Have you repented and believed? Have you put your faith and trust in Him? Or are you trusting in the Eliakims of this world? The people of Judah looked everywhere else, but the text simply records they did not look to Him. Where do you look? Where are you looking? Let's pray. Father, we come now just for a moment of, I pray, further meditation upon what we've heard. God, I ask that you would, by your great grace, provide prudency in this place, that we would take refuge in you. Father, you know every heart, you know every mind, you know everywhere that we trust and hope in and we've relied upon. I ask God now that your spirit would just reveal that those things outside of you will never satisfy. Father, I pray today that there would be commitments, repentance, and renewal of trust and hope in Christ alone. Father, would you draw us under your son, Jesus? I pray it in his name, Lord. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.